Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. ever run to daylight variety show I, I thought i would do something different last year i didn't do much during the season and i just remembered when i was a kid they had these variety shows on saturday night um you know ed sullivan wasn't on saturday but the, uh carol burnett and, and even through the 80s and early 90s you'd get a lot of these variety shows and they'd have different segments with different guests and a revolving cast of characters. So I thought it would be fun to do that with fantasy. So I've enlisted some of my friends and some of the really up and coming people that I've met along the way this year. And uh, we're going to do a variety show for you. So we're going to have different segments. And the first segment every week, for the most part, once in a while we'll have, uh, you know, life will come up and we'll we'll substitute. But Sal Lito is going to be joining me for the first episode. Uh, We're going to just get you into it and uh, go through the the kind of the headline news. And uh, so without further ado, I thought, you know, what also would be funny and a little bit fun would be to come up with a little bit of a intro for each person. So here's Sal's intro. Hey, you just completely fuzzed out. Are you there? I'm here, buddy. What's going on? Hey, how you doing tonight? Great. Thank you for having me as the opening to, this, to the very first episode. Very, yep. very uh, thankful it's and appreciative. A... Oh, yeah. Well, man, I told you when you did the other episode with me of the Scott Fishbowl that I thought we had good camaraderie. So I'm glad to be working with you. I'm glad that you wanted to do it with me. And uh, we're going to, you know, get people ready each week. Uh, It was week one in the NFL. And instead of talking about football, we actually got to watch a little football. Yeah, it was great to have it back. It's every year we, we, it feels like it's 12 months before we get football back every year. It's not quite that long, but uh, it was great to have it on, on Thursday night. And I'm looking forward to a full slate tomorrow. Yeah. We watched the chiefs come back and kind of humble the Patriots. How much did you enjoy watching the game, and what were some of your key takeaways? It's tough for me to say I enjoyed that because I I am an Oakland Raider fan. So uh, while it's always enjoyable to see the Patriots lose, 
Uh, now we are half a game already behind the Chiefs, and, and the Chiefs look damn impressive. They looked impressive on both sides of the ball. Once they settled down after the first couple of drives, they thoroughly dominated that game. And what I took away from it was all the excitement over the Raiders this year, it's not going to be a walk in the park to win that division. Well, you, you caught one break with the Eric Berry injury. I mean, what he did to Gronk, um, I, I think that if you took Gronk's opportunity in that game and you took Eric Berry out of it, and I think Gronk, I hate to say it because I don't own a lot of Gronk in all my leagues, but I, I, I kind of come away from that thinking that they're going to need to lean on him and he's going to get a lot of targets. Yeah, Gronk is a guy I generally don't own either because he just goes goes so early, and it's a hard it's hard to commit to taking a player that early, uh, to taking a tight end rather that early. I do own him in one league, my old school uh, fantasy league that I've been playing. It's the twenty fourth year of that league, and uh, I finally made the leap and took him early, and he got shut down on opening night. But it's a shame with Eric Berry because we all know that he fought back from cancer, and it's. It's a great story, and for him to get injured like that on opening night after having such a big impact, it's disappointing to see that for sure. The other big news, obviously, in that game was uh, Kareem Hunt. And, you know, there's a lot of good rookie running backs, but, boy, he was impressive. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a sink or swim article for, for falafelhouse.com this week, and I actually had him on my sink list. I, I figured, I, first of all, coming out of college, once you got past the Dalvin Cooks and the Leonard Fournettes and the Christian McCaffrey's, he was the guy I liked the most. So it's not like I don't like him as a player. I just figured opening night, Patriots, Foxborough, raising the banner, all that stuff might be a little much for the rookie. He did not look like a rookie. He definitely did not look like a rookie. 17 carries for 148, five receptions for 98, and three total touchdowns. I mean, give me a break. Crazy. Yeah, and I own a good bit of him, including uh, my FBG Football Guys Championship team. I took him in the second round at 2-7, right in front of uh, DeMarco Murray. I've been off Murray all year, and I just – it's my big money league. I, I just couldn't draft a guy in the second round who I barely drafted all year. So I took a chance on Hunt, and at least for one week, it worked out very well. Um, I know that um, – you know, people are going to – you're already hearing it's, – it's funny how quickly people get moved by what they see. And it takes a lot of in, intestinal fortitude, maybe is not the right word, but you have to be able to look at things and not overreact. And I think that, you know, we went from the Patriots being 16-0 and, 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 and the shoe-in to everyone panicking that their defense isn't good and Brady might, is this the end of the line for Brady? It's just amazing how quickly one bad game can change people's opinions. And in the NFL on any given day, you can have a bad, uh, a, a one, you know, one bad game doesn't mean much to me. Yeah. We've seen that so much in the NFL where a, a team could start off slow you know, lose two games and then and then go, uh, you know, fourteen and two even. And I think there's a legitimate shot that the Patriots could still go fifteen and one. I mean, the division is a, is a cakewalk. And you know, they they've been there how many years in a row? They've done it so many times. Don't for a second think that 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 team is is going anywhere other than 
back to the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is, you know, look, it is an issue with Edelman, and they do miss him, but they'll figure it out. And I think they're going to adjust and start throwing more to the backs. I, I, I think that they threw a lot of longer passes this uh, last game. But one thing we know about Bill Belichick, he'll figure it out. They'll come up with a plan. And, I yeah, I certainly am not overreacting to one game. Uh, I know also one of the things that we're going to do each week is you're going to be on the lookout for Narrative Street for, for us. Um, and I'm not sure there's a bigger narrative this week than Adrian Peterson coming back to Minnesota with the New Orleans Saints. Are you buying into the AP narrative? And how do you think the touches are going to be distributed in that offense in week one? Well, if anyone out there has listened to me all, all off season and through the summer, I'm big on AP this year. I actually had him ranked in my preseason rankings as an RB2. And I just think that there's a difference. Sure, they're all NFL players, and there's a ton of NFL running backs out there. But there's certain guys that are freakish humans. Bo Jackson was a freakish human. Bo Jackson could do things that other guys couldn't do. And Adrian Peterson is that same type of player. So when I hear, oh, he's old, he's coming back from a leg injury, none of that matters to me. Because I've seen this guy come back from a leg injury and run for 2,000 yards. So I, I am big on AP this year. I grabbed him wherever I could get him at the good value. I didn't try to overdraft him because the value was there. And, yeah, I think this is an Adrian Peterson week. That doesn't mean I don't believe Mark Ingram will be heavily involved in the offense. But I think there's a good chance they go in there, pound the ball, and they give it to AP, and they really let him, you know, go back. He's got a chip on his shoulder. And, and an angry guy, an angry good football player with a chip on his shoulder could be a very successful football player. So you're, you're, Sal's definitely buying into the narrative. For me, I, I look at it as, you know, what's interesting to me is, again, you got to look at the head coach. Sean Payton is a weird guy. He's not, your, and I mean, weird by uh, NFL coach standards. And I mean that in the sense that a lot of coaches are very predictable. Uh, they play, you know, by certain standards. And Peyton doesn't. So in reviewing the running back situation, there's, here's how I saw the preseason. And it ties into what I was talking about, about people overreacting. So Alvin Kamara came out in preseason game two. Ingram and Peterson, neither one of them played. And they ran Kamara inside. They ran him outside. They threw passes a little bit to him. We all know he's a good passing down back. And then week three, so everyone was on Kamara. And then week three, they didn't play Kamara, and they split between Peterson and Ingram. And they said, well, I guess they're not going to use Kamara much this year because, you know, week three, everyone knows that's the week where you, you do your dress rehearsal. But I guess that's a long way of saying I'm not counting Alvin Kamara out of that backfield. What do you think the chances are that he has a significant role in game one? Um, yeah, listen, I don't count him out, obviously, because like you said, we've seen Peyton use three running backs as recently as last year, you know, the last couple of years. So for me, I don't think it'll be an Alvin Kamara game. Uh, I'm sure you can get him relatively cheap if you did want to go that route and, you know, go contrarian and, and, and try that. But uh, 
For me, if if it was my money and I was putting it on any one of the three backs for this week, it's going to be Adrian Peterson. Yeah, I think that uh, I don't see how they don't try to at least feature him out of the gate. And if he plays well, maybe he can take the bull by the horns. They'll mix in Ingram. But I do think Camaro will be there on third downs. And uh, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, you know, this, there's another big narrative street, though. And it's with Eddie Lacy coming back to Green Bay. That backfield has four legitimate running back choices. And a lot of people have their favorites. Um, Thomas Rawls might not play this week. He's got a, 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 an ankle injury. What are you doing with this backfield? Are you buying into the, the, the you know, Lacey coming back to Green Bay narrative like you were with Peterson coming back to Minnesota? Yeah, it's not. That narrative doesn't work as much for me as the Peterson one does. Again, two, two completely different athletes in my mind. I like Lacey. I have Lacey on a couple of, uh, dynasty teams and then I had added them in a couple of startups this year literally won the day that he signed with Seattle I had really was convinced all along Green Bay was going to bring him back and I I figured okay there's really nobody in his way in Green Bay and then he didn't he didn't end up back there so at least for week one and, and probably even the first couple of weeks I got to really see how this plays out I got to see just how healthy Lacey is um, you know word is that ProSize was was given a clean bill of health on Wednesday. He's 100% healthy. And we know when we last seen him healthy, he had a hell of a big game last year. And in preseason, this kid Chris Carson comes out of nowhere and plays like a kid who wanted to make a team, wanted to earn a job. And I think he did. I definitely think he earned touches. So even if Rawls, who's considered the game-time decision, doesn't play, I'm expecting three backs to be getting hands on a ball tomorrow. So maybe i got to wait and see uh, what Lacey's role is going forward. Yeah, I uh... – It's a situation I avoided for the most part in best ball this year. I I like stack cuffing. And in fact, my Spencer Ware and Kareem Hunt shares, I think I had six or seven of those, uh, maybe even more because I wasn't counting the FFPC. That worked out great in the sense that, you, you know, I got Ware in the sixth or the seventh and Hunt in the ninth and tenth. Now I got a second round running back out of that. You know, you trade a sixth and a ninth for a second round running back any day, wouldn't you? Oh, in a heartbeat. Hey, hey, did you speaking of FFPC? Did you see in a number of the live drafts today that uh, Hunt was going one overall and two overall? Yeah, that that that's a little too much for me. Uh, I did not see that. I I took him uh, as I mentioned a two seven before his big game. But uh, I, I get it. You know, it's nice to want to put up 56 points week one, but I'm not drafting. You know, I, I probably would lo- have looked at him like one seven, one eight, something like that. But, um, you know, no way I'm taking him over DJ. Um, yeah, so uh, the, the but back to the point, and I'm stumbling around here, is that Seattle offense, on the other hand, I don't like taking two, you know, two to three pieces. You, you can't really take three pieces or four pieces and hope you get one good one. I mean, there's a, it's the same thing with the New England backfield. I mean, you think that because Gillisley had a big game that, you know, oh, he's the one and James White's the one. You know, next week it could be Burkhead or Deion Lewis. 
Uh, I'm just not convinced that either one of those backfields is going to end up with one guy. Yeah, New England's been doing to us for years. I, I put a tweet up the other night right after the third touchdown for Gillsley. I said, if, we weren't, if New England had told us anything, start Deion Lewis next week. Because that's just, just the way it goes there. Guy, guys get completely taken out of the game plan a week after they were the game plan. I mean, we watched James White set records in the Super Bowl, and then they gave him a contract extension in the offseason. And he got, he got some nice touches, and he was probably the most effective back yards per carry-wise. But he wasn't given the lead role. So, yeah, Seattle, it's, especially when you're dealing with a team like Seattle has a 32nd-ranked offensive line in the league, it's just let's, I, it's going to take a few weeks for that one to pan out. Yeah, I, I, I just can't go too deep into that one. Uh, we talked a little bit about Kareem Hunt and how he staked his claim to maybe being the best rookie running back with a monster week one performance. But are there any other rookie running backs that you think might go off in this uh, for this week one? Yeah, looking at my rankings, uh, I, I have Dalvin Cook at 10 overall for running backs uh, this week. And Dalvin Cook was my highest ranked rookie coming into the season uh, for my pre-draft rankings. I just like his situation. Uh, I mean, obviously, Hunt's situation has become better with Ware being injured. But overall, I, I like Cook better as a player. And, um, you know, Minnesota's offensive line, as much problems they give him, PFF has them ranked at 14th overall, which is a little bit better than middle of the pack, right? And, and they're better than the, than the Chiefs. They're ranked better than the Chiefs' offensive line. And they're also ranked better than the Arizona Cardinals' offensive line. And uh, we're not getting scared away from, from DJ for that reason. So uh, I like Dalvin Cook. And, of course, I like Christian McCaffrey as Steve, one of my co-hosts, a falafel house has named him Tiny Dancer. Um, he's nice, going I like that. <laughs> yeah, he, that was pretty good. And I'm gonna have to, gonna have to upload that now. And every time he's mentioned, I'm gonna have to play it. Uh, Steve will love it. He'll definitely be tuning in to hear that each week. <laughs> so McCaffrey draws a 49 of defense that was like epically bad last year. They gave up over 2,800 total yards to running backs and 27 total touchdowns. As much as I like McCaffrey in that game, and I definitely get him into my lineups where I can, not a non-rookie, an old guy still around, get Jonathan Stewart in there this week. 2,300 of those yards and 24 of those touchdowns were on the ground running. And Jonathan Stewart is going to be the short yardage and goal line guy. So I know we're talking rookies, but just a little, a little guy that you might have forgotten about, get him in there. Yeah, I'm going to throw out another name, and it's Leonard Fournette. Uh, I, I get that they're playing Houston, but I, I, again, I, the one thing I take out of preseason games is a lot of times coaches will show what their will is. And that first game before Fournette got dinged with his foot, I mean, they were running him a lot and he looked damn good when they were doing it. Um, I, I put in about 12 to 15% of Leonard Fournette. I know I typically don't like to take underdogs on the road, but um, I have a feeling that he could surprise people with a really nice week one. So uh, keep your eye out on that. Do you think I'm crazy on that one, Sal? Leonard Fournette's a guy that does worry me. I don't think he's crazy on it because the talent is there. And what you pointed out about preseason game one, 100%. They gave him the ball, and he looked good. So I get worried about the, the foot injury because he's got history with it. 
And I worry that ah, if, he, if he gets banged up early or if he gets banged up and maybe if they get down in that game and they decide, all right, we're not going to run him, we're not going to pound him here because, we, you know, we've got a long season and he's a rookie, that's the type of thing that worries me with him. But if he's healthy and they give him the full touches, there's no doubt that he, that he could get the job done. Yep. Uh, we'll finish up our kind of rookie conversation. Uh, are there any secondary rookies that you think could be the Jordan Howard of this year, uh, a, a, a running back who's behind another running back and either through ineffectiveness or injury could be in for a big year, but you're drafting him in the 13th to 17th round? Yeah, I think the prime candidate for that is Marlon Mack with the Colts. I mean, if you, have, if, you, if you haven't watched this kid's college film, he is explosive. He makes big plays. He scored 15 touchdowns last year, and six of them were 43 yards or longer. Uh, we, you got old man Frank Gore there who seemingly does it every year, but sooner or later it's going to come to an end. I, that offensive line is not good in Indianapolis, but this kid played behind bad offensive lines in college, and he just is elusive, and he makes plays. Uh, there's a run against UCF. 56-yard run where he broke five different tackles at five different levels on the field and then accelerated to the end zone. Uh, I'm not sure if people realize just how impressive he is. So when you're done with the show tonight, flip on YouTube, check out his college tape, watch the, the long touchdown runs, and grab this kid late because if Frank Gork goes down with an injury or is ineffective while the coach realizes the season's over, this is a guy who might get a lot of play at time. Yeah, I don't own much Mac. Um He's a kind of hit or miss type running back, you know, big play, but he loves to break everything outside. Uh, but if they are bad, they're going to not have much reason to play Frank Gore. And when you listen to the injury segment that I do later with Dr. Budoff, uh, <laughs> this season could be uh, heading pretty south pretty quickly for the Colts. I'll finish our segment, Sal. And again, great job on segment number one of the of our new show. Uh, but I'm going to throw out Dante Foreman as that guy. Lamar Miller, I, I think, will be okay. But he's also a guy who's been banged up a lot. And that's a team that likes to run the ball a lot. And if uh, if if Foreman gets that job for a week or two, he might not give it back. So I'll throw out that name for everyone. Uh, Sal, great having you on, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Todd. Enjoy the game tomorrow, everybody. All right. That was Sal Lido, everyone. All right. Up next is my old partner. Uh, we did a lot of uh, DFS shows together, so when I was looking for a – expert to come in each week and give us some DFS picks. I looked no further than my first round draft choice, the Motown Mauler. Uh, let's get his music going. Excited to be back. Uh, excited it's football season and it feels like uh, the tag team is back together. How are you, partner? <laughs> I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing good. It's nice to have you back on. 
Uh, it's been a while, but uh, let's get into it. We're gonna we're not gonna be doing our old show where we used to make a DFS lineup together each week. What we're gonna be doing each week with the Mauler and uh, whoever comes in, if the Mauler needs a week off, if he's out mauling something other than DFS for a night. Um, each position, he's going to name his favorite high price play, his favorite low price play, his favorite contrarian play at each position. So why don't you take us through the quarterback position this week, Mauler? Yeah, I, uh, I actually put a, a top tier, mid tier, low tier in the contrarian. But my top tier, uh, I have Russell Wilson, 6,900 uh, against the Packers. Supposed to be a high scoring game. I think Wilson might be uh, a little high owned this week, so my pivot off him is Derek Carr. Um, so those are my top tier guys. Carr 6700. I think he's in a good spot against the Titans D. So um, I think he'll be also uh, a little lower owned than Wilson. Uh, so those are my top tier guys. Uh, Mid tier, looking at Kirk Cousins 6400 for Washington against Philadelphia. Uh, New receivers over there other than Crowder, but you still have Jordan Reed. Um, you know, these guys have been together for a while, so I think uh, he's a good play at 6,400 at the mid-tier. Low-tier, I really, really love Carson Wentz. He's my top quarterback play tomorrow, um, regardless of price. He's 5,700. I like pairing him up with a few guys in Philadelphia that we'll talk about later. And my contrarian play is Brian Hoyer. Uh, I think San Francisco uh, is going to be much improved. Uh, I like that he's a veteran. Uh, they've got Garcon, and uh, they got another guy that uh, I'll discuss later on who's my favorite contrarian play at another position. So that's uh, that's what I got for you at uh, quarterback, Todd. Yep, I'll I'll throw out uh, the two guys that uh, I my high my high price quarterback is Cam Newton. My mid-price quarterback is Carson Palmer, and my low-price quarterback is also my contrarian pick, Mike Lennon. Um, came up with an interesting uh, bit of information doing some research. I've been researching uh, in 2016 quarterbacks who had three or four touchdowns in a game, and I also tracked the defenses that gave them up. And uh, one of it was the Atlanta Falcons. So the Falcons are on the road. I think nobody is going to be on Glennon. I don't think he's as bad as people say he is. Uh, so I'm throwing out Mike Glennon as my contrarian and low price play. I like Wentz a lot too, though. I think that's a really good call. Uh, wh- what are you looking at on running backs? Yeah, um, well, first before I go to that, I really, really like the Glennon idea, too, because um, a few receivers that I'm going to mention in a minute are are really low price for him, and it looks like game script is going to make it so he has to throw a lot, and I, I totally agree with you that he's not as bad as people think. You know, if you watch film and stuff, he's actually pretty decent, so I think that's a, a great call there, Todd. So, uh good thing for me is I always get to talk to you before Sunday lock and I can throw a few Glennon lineups in now. So, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> and and <laughs> versa, my friend. Yeah. And you'll get your 10% if it pays off. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> running back, of course, my, my top guy is Le'Veon Bell tomorrow. Um, you know, Cleveland couldn't stop a signpost. So, uh, he, he's the top play. It looks like he's 
there for, you know, all the allotment of carries he can handle. So 9,800, I'm willing to pay it. Uh, he's my top-tier play. Mid-tier play, I'm moving down to Devontae Freeman. Uh, we just briefly talked about the Bears-Atlanta game. Game script, to me, shows Atlanta with a lead. Um, giving Freeman carries, I think he gets between 15 and 17 carries. A uh, couple catches, and I think he's a good mid-tier price there at 7000 uh, Kind of mid to low together. I love Todd Gurley's uh, position tomorrow. You know, he's trying to prove that, you know, last year's off year was just a fluke, and I think 6000 uh, for his price tomorrow is good. And my low price slash contrarian guy, um, it's going to be a lot of 49ers today, and I really like Carlos Hyde at 4600 I love it. Good, good stuff. Um, I'm going with DJ as my uh, my high price guy, and there's nothing wrong with Bell. I definitely am going to have a, a decent amount of Bell, but <clears throat> I, I think he'll be higher owned than DJ. I could be wrong because he's in a better spot. Um, but I, I, I and I and I'll, I'll throw out a, a kind of contrarian stack. I'm going to stack DJ with Palmer and not put Fitz in it and in a couple lineups because Fitz's ownership is going to be pretty high. If you get that game where DJ and Palmer go off together on the, in the air, you, you not only have uh, a lot of points, but you, you eliminate the Fitz people. So I'll have a little bit of Fitz as, as well, but I'm going to get my Fitz exposure through cash. It, it, he's not a really a mid-price guy. <clears throat> but DeMarco Murray's really grown on me. I think game script-wise, um, they're going to be able to run on Oakland. He hasn't played much in the preseason. I think that Derrick Henry is going to be a problem for him maybe later in the season. But week one, um, I've got a good bit of DeMarco Murray. And my contrarian play of the day is Danny Woodhead. Um, his salary is a little higher than I wished it would be. But... Um, I had Luke Jones on the Rotoviz podcasts, and all he could talk about was Woodhead getting drop-off passes. Um, I could see a scenario where Woodhead could give you, you know, get eight, nine catches and, you know, get you 20, 25, you know, 20 points. And if you're lucky enough to get a touchdown, uh, maybe even a little more. Uh, week one and the Bengals, I think perfect is out. So uh, I don't have a ton of them, but that's my contrarian play of the day. So um, take us to the wide receivers. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, pairing David Johnson with Palmer and you mentioned you like cam in the quarterbacks. And I like pairing him uh, uh, with uh, the kid from Stanford. I, I keep calling him Toby Gerhardt, but uh we we know it's not Toby, but uh, I think McCaffrey and Cam is a, a good running back quarterback combination where, you know, McCaffrey's going to run a lot of routes out of the slot and whatnot. And he can do the, the same thing Woodhead can where he can get four or five catches, maybe break a long one and then get a few rushing yards. So, yeah, you know, I always love your outside the box thinking and, you know, that that would eliminate the Benjamin lineups, just like you uh, mentioned the Fitzgerald lineup. So kudos to always thinking outside the box and helping the, the listeners out. So uh, moving on to wide receiver, A.J. Green's my top price favorite. A lot of injuries to the wide receiver core in Cincinnati. And, um, uh, you know, A.J. Green's uh, a really, really good receiver. So 
I'll take him at top tier. Uh, mid-tier, I have uh, Baldwin, 6,700 for Seattle in a supposedly high-scoring game with Green Bay. Uh, right under him, I like Crabtree at 6,000. Uh, my low price guys are uh, Kevin White, 4,200 for the Bears. You mentioned Glennon. Um, I like pairing him and Kevin White. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr., 4,100. And then if you're punting at wide receiver, I really, really like Kendall Wright for the Bears at 3,200. And TJ Jones, he's the third wide receiver. Uh, I know people were high on Galladay, but uh, uh, TJ Jones looking like the third wide receiver in Detroit. He's only 3,000 if you're looking to punt at wide receiver. Uh, I'll go with Julio as my top-owned guy. Uh, probably Either him or DJ will be my highest-owned guy on the slate. I just think that uh, the Bears' front seven is really tough. They're going to need to throw, and the new coordinator seems determined to get Julio more involved. Uh, Mid-price, I I love Doug Baldwin. That's a great call. And low-price, I'm going to throw out Marquise Goodwin and his uh, tremendous speed. And I think he could get six, seven targets, maybe even more. I think uh, teams are going to try and shut Garcon down and Carlos Hyde. And uh, Goodwin has just world-class speed. And I think he'll get the targets. And I think he is a higher upside. I love Kendall Wright for season long, but for this week, I'll have more Goodwin than I do Kendall Wright. Take us through the tight end. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Kendall Wright because my first pairing of Hoyer was, of course, with Garcon. And uh, the tight end who you I'm going to mention right now is Mike. Yeah, Goodwin. So I want I want a team with Goodwin um, that I'll make later on. So I'm glad you mentioned him. But my contrarian tight end, I'll start with him, is Greg Kittle um, from the 49ers. Keep an eye. He he is questionable, but it looks like he ran full speed all routes uh, on Friday. So he should be good to go. He's only 2,500. And I like pairing him with Hoyer and giving yourself uh, tons of money at running back and wide receiver. Uh, my favorite tight end on the day is actually low-priced, and that's Zach Ertz. Uh, I men- mentioned uh, at the beginning I loved Carson Wentz, and I, I think him and Ertz hook up quite a bit on uh, tomorrow. Um, he's only 3400 and I, like I said, that leaves you a lot of money um, up top for running backs and wide receivers. Uh, Top-tier play is Jimmy Graham. Uh, I think he's going to have a big year this year, and I think he gets off to a hot start tomorrow. And then a mid-tier um, Low owned guy that I'll go with is uh, Martellus Bennett. Yeah, uh, there's so many tight ends I like this year. I mean, this week, and I don't like using them in the flex too often. So it's been it's been tough trying to narrow that position. The only high end guy I, I, I'll have a little bit of ownership to is Olson. Uh, Ertz, obviously a great play. Delaney Walker, um, Oakland's historically bad against the tight ends. Um, I really like Charles Clay. I I think that if they're going to throw the ball, he's the one guy that Tyrod is familiar with. I think you'll see a lot of Clay. Ertz is the the big decision. Do you want to be overweight or underweight on him because he's going to have high ownership? Um, And I got two contrarian guys. Um, Actually, three. Uh, I I like uh, Jason Witten. 
I think Jack Doyle is going to get a lot of targets. I, I think he's an interesting guy. And uh, you, you mentioned Kittle. I, I'm really big on this Gerald Everett of, of the Rams. Uh, I won't have a lot of him, but I, I, I was drafting him like crazy in the 20th round, the best ball leagues the last month. He's a real athlete, and they were, they were giving him good targets. I, I know everyone thinks they're going to give Higby some of those targets, but I don't. I think it's going to be mostly Everett. And in a game where um, you, you got to figure they're going to try and take Cup and Watkins away and focus on Gurley, I, I, I you know, I, I could see Everett having like a four for fifty with a touchdown line at twenty five hundred, and, and that's pretty darn good. So. Um, that's, you know, tight end has been the toughest one. And then there's one other guy who I own a good bit of. It's Evan Engram. And and the thought there, Mauler, is that Odell Beckham might not play. And if Odell Beckham can't play, we might not find out to the last second. Engram is just a, a stud. I mean, he is he is talented. And if Odell Beckham's out, Brandon Marshall – Sterling Shepard and Engram all of a sudden are going to be the top three guys. He's 2,900. And if, you know, it's a great play late because, you know, by the time, you know, we might know about Beckham's status, most people's tight end position will already be used up. What do you think about Engram? Yeah. And the thing with Engram too is, you know, Paul Perkins and that running back core, you know, they're not going to get 10, 15 extra carries just because Beckham's out. You know, they're still going to run those pass plays, and it's going to be Ingram and 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 Shepard and those guys that, that uh, you know, get the benefit. Yeah, so I, I think, folks, <clears throat> if you've got, you know, 10 lineups, I would have two lineups where, you know, maybe you've got – two or three of these guys and, you know, Marshall Ingram, uh, Sterling Shepard. And if Beck, you know, Beckham might not play and we won't know till the last minute. And all of a sudden you, you know, you could really have something there. Um, let's go to the defenses more. Well, to be honest, Todd, I don't like any defense below the $3,200 mark today. So I'm just going to list them in order. And then I will give you, the one that no, you yeah, want to definitely. It, it, it's just a guideline, my friend. If, if you know, don't force it. Oh no, no. And then you and I both know, especially early on in the season, uh, it's just so tough to gauge defense. So you kind of want to play it safe, where you're not going to get crushed and lose points. Um, so I'm looking at Buffalo against the Jets. I just think they're in a safe position. Same with the Texans versus uh, Jacksonville at 3,800. The Steelers are playing the Browns. They should be able to get a few turnovers, possibly get a special teams or defensive touchdown. They're 3,600. Uh, we mentioned the Falcons against the Bears. And uh, Rams, 3,200 against the Andrew Luckless Colts. So between 32 and 3,900, you're going to have to spend for a defense if you want to just have a safe, safe floor. If you want to punt um, – I mean, you can take a chance with the Jets at 2,400 and hope uh, Buffalo and, and Tyrod, you know, those new guys don't have their, you know, their chemistry yet. Uh, I, you know, 
there's no arguing what you just said. And I've been really trying to find some low-priced defenses this week. Um, I'll throw out a couple names. Uh, the Cowboys. Eli Manning just, you know, he, he just doesn't look that good. And as much as I, I you know, what I just said about Engram, uh, I think the Cowboys, Eli's always one of those guys who can throw a pick six. So uh, I've got the Cowboys as a lower price defense. I, Kirk Cousins also with those new receivers, he's had um, a lot of interceptions in his career. I think the Eagles have a very good defense and they're a solid choice. And then the one no one will probably think of and probably will think I'm crazy, but the Tennessee Titans at 2,600 at home, um, if they get a nice lead and cars from behind, uh, maybe they could get that. Plus they've got that rookie Jackson, who's a big return man. And really uh, you're, you're looking for, you know, eight, you know, seven, eight points that, um, they might be able to pull that out for you. So those are my thoughts on defense. Um, any final thoughts, Mueller? Well, I, I mean, there is one, you know, low price defense that I like, but I did not want to get in trouble with all my Detroit brethren, uh, brethren around here. And that is the Cardinals. Um, I think uh, the Cardinals cornerbacks match up with Marvin Jones and Golden Tate very well. Um, Ebron's, hands aren't great. He's still a little injured. TJ Jones is not your, you know, great third wide receiver. I can see, uh, you know, Arizona having a decent game against the Lions. So to all my Detroit people, I know I'm the Motown Mauler. I apologize, but uh, I can see the Cardinals having, uh, you know, a good time against, uh, against the Lions tomorrow. It's definitely possible. They've got a very aggressive defense. Great stuff, Mauler. Great first episode. Thanks for so much for being part of the new Variety Series. Yeah, I always uh, love talking with you. You know that. And uh, uh, I'll be looking forward to tomorrow, and I'll be looking forward to joining you again next week. You got it, my friend. Take care. You too. Thank you. All right, so the next segment is one that I'll be taping each week. It's an injury segment. And uh, without further ado, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, play his, uh, I'll play his music and, uh, and then I'll play the interview. So uh, here's the music I came up with for uh, Dr. Budoff. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, how are you today? I'm doing great, Todd. How are you? Uh, excited to go through the injuries with you. Uh, let's get let's get into it. The NFL season is starting, but without Andrew Luck behind center, all off season we've had very little news or updates from his, about his injury from the Colts. I know this doesn't give you much to go on. But can you take me through what we do know and give us a best guess timeline for when you think we might find luck on the field? Sure. You know, he injured his right 
throwing shoulder in week three of 2015. We're talking nearly two years ago, so this is not anything new. He missed two games back in 2015 and played most of that year and then all of last year, probably with an unstable shoulder. What we know is he has a labral injury. That's the meniscus-like rim around the socket of the shoulder. And it usually is associated with instability of the shoulder, which is very common in throwers. Um, Now, again, this didn't happen last night. This has been going on for the better part of two years, and it's taken a long time to get back. I mean, something took longer than everybody expected. I think we can all agree on that. And he may have other damage because, again, he played nearly two years with what is probably an unstable shoulder that was subluxing, meaning partially dislocating in and out, especially when he went to the cocking phase of the throwing motion where your arm is back and it's rotated. And that puts a lot of stress on the ligaments. And the shoulder, the, the ball of the shoulder can sort of slip and slide in the socket if the ligaments are stretched out. So he might have stretched out the ligaments further. He might have cartilage damage, uh, precursor to arthritis. He can have chronic inflammation. And all of these can contribute to a longer recovery. Now, he had a repair of his labrum in January of this year. And if you're going to have a labral repair, and a quarterback, again, depending on where the labrum needed to be repaired and what other damage there was. And, again, I have no idea. But it can take six to nine months to get back to playing football. Obviously, they figured six months to be back in July for training camp, and that did not happen. So it's the outer range of, you know, how long it should take, barring a complication or a setback that I have no knowledge of, would be October. Now, October 1st is week four, where they're at Seattle. Now, are they going to put him on the field for the first time with no preseason, no OTAs, you know, no time to really get prepared against Seattle in Seattle? I mean, I kind of doubt that. I think a more realistic uh, thought might be week five. They're home against San Francisco, not as much of a pass rush not as tough as defense to start against. So I think week five is pretty reasonable. I mean, what do we know? Is, well, first of all, as you know, coaches lie. So I'm told, I've read, he's in the training phase, quote, unquote, but they really don't have a timeline for return. He's considered, quote, unquote, week to week. I mean, I don't even know if he's throwing. I've heard he's throwing behind closed doors. Pagano, who, again, is not the most truthful individual I've ever listened to, says he hasn't even seen him throw. I don't know if that's true. Uh, But he probably would need a few weeks of practice with the team before he can play. How many? Two to three, maybe four. He's pretty experienced and pretty good, maybe two to three. You know, he was not placed on the PUP. But all that means is that they want him to practice. Because if he was on the PUP, then it would be six weeks before he was even allowed to practice for the team, which would bring him to week nine or ten, and they're expecting him back before that. So... Well, that doesn't mean returning. That that's very helpful because what you just laid out was two things. You laid out that if they really didn't think he was ready, they would have put him on pup, and they didn't. But at the same time, he hasn't started practicing yet, and uh, you know he's going to need two to three weeks. So basically, it when what we're looking for then is when he starts practicing with the team it's going to be about two to three weeks from then. 
And you th- so that that basically does put us at that best case scenario now of week five, and that is best case scenario. If <clears throat> if he's not ready to come back by week seven or eight, and you know Scott Tolzien is awful, the whole team isn't very good. I mean, do you think there's a chance they just shut him down for the year with the extra time? It, I mean, could they hurt it again by bringing him back too quick? Well, behind that offensive line, missing its center, and not very good to start. Yeah, I mean, if he could easily get re-injured, you know, when he plays. So, I mean, things that's a concern. I mean, that would be a football decision at that point based on the record. And, you know, it seems like the Buffalo Bills and the Jets are tanking and, you know, might Indianapolis join him in that endeavor? I don't know. You know, that's a football thing. But they, they might want to do that again. It depends on exactly where he is. And, you know, if Pagano wants to save his job and you have a new GM, maybe he doesn't want like like playing to quote-unquote protect him but really wants to pick his own coach. I mean, I, I don't know where the situation is, but there will be off-the-field issues that would impact that. Yeah, so you know the, other... the key thing is that we've got two to three weeks. Uh, once he starts um, throwing with the team – and if you're gonna, if you're thinking of, you know, you know, a guy drafted him in the sixth, seventh round, and and he's one and four, and 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 you want to trade for luck for later in the season, you want to make sure that he's practicing with the team. I think we'll move on to our next injury, which is Odell Beckham. Oh, I just wanted to make one more point. Todd. Sure, you go know, ahead. Just when he plays, let's say he plays week five, it doesn't mean he's 100. <clears> percent <throat> Remember, he's got to get his accuracy back. He's got to get his timing back. He's got to get his strength back, meaning the ability to throw deep to spread the field. He's got to get his stamina back, meaning, you know, the shoulder muscles throwing is it's stressful on the shoulder. So will he be still good in the fourth quarter? You know, it might take time. It might take time for him to regain the mental aspect, meaning the confidence in his shoulder to throw into tight windows and, you know, to not shy away from contact. You know, and this this could really drag down the whole offense. I, mean, I don't currently have any Colts on any of my fantasy teams. I'm just saying that even when he's back, he may not be the Andrew Luck that you were waiting for. Yeah, I, I think that's all outstanding stuff. And um, I think that he has a big red flag on him until further notice. And that was why I wanted to start off with him, because I think there's this assumption out there in some circles that, you know, two to three weeks he'll be on the field and he'll be fine, and it's just not the case. Moving on to the next player, Odell Beckham, who is a game-time decision with an ankle injury. Do you think Odell Beckham might play? And if he does, do you think that he might not be the Odell Beckham we've all come to expect? Well, you know, he injured his – he had a high ankle sprain in the second preseason game, which is three weeks before, you know, tomorrow. Now, a high ankle sprain, on average, will take three to six weeks to get back. You know, mild, zero to two weeks, he's already passed that window. So they can say it's mild. I'm not sure I believe that. Uh, Moderate is two to four weeks. I guess we're hoping for moderate. Severe is four to eight weeks. And, you know, this injury is really problematic for people that need to cut. For example, you know, wide receivers. Because uh, cutting one way will be really tough for him, which obviously limits him greatly on the football field. And when you get back after this, it can cause a sustained 
decrease in performance for a prolonged period of time, especially if he rushes back. I mean, he didn't practice all week, um, and he's quote-unquote questionable, and probably on the doubtful side of questionable. And if he plays, he will not be 100%. I mean, I don't know if they're going to have a decoy to see if he can go against, you know, Dallas is secondary, which is not the world's greatest. But if he does play, he's at significant risk of aggravation. And I'm, you know, I'm concerned for him. I'm a Giants fan, as you are. I'm concerned for the Giants. I did not draft him at all in fantasy. Uh, this can, you know, because one of my pet peeves with the NFL athletes, you know, I know they're all invincible 20-something-year-olds, and, and, but they're really not, but they just don't know it. And time after time, they come back too early, hurt themselves, and they just have a bad season because of it. And I don't know if he'll play tomorrow night, but he's definitely at risk of coming back too early and just having a subpar season. Yeah, I just added some Brandon Marshall to my DFS um, wide receivers, I think, uh, and even Sterling Shepard. And I, I, I raised my Evan Engram. I, fig- I feel like <laughs> I, I can uh, pivot off of Engram to Witten uh, if I have a second player in the game, if ODB does play. But I, I like Engram. He's my favorite play on the Giants this week. Uh, you know, Dallas isn't real good against tight ends. Uh, so that that's my thought on that for anyone listening. Uh, Joe Flacco is another guy who's missed all of preseason and training camp with a back injury. What can you tell us about this type of injury and how it might affect Flacco in the 2016 season? Well, I guess we're hitting all the players I'm concerned about first. Um, you know, Flacco injured his back on July 26th, weightlifting. I uh, didn't get hit. He was just weightlifting. He has a disc injury. That's been pretty much admitted. Uh, he was expected to miss, you know, a week or so of practice, and he missed the entire preseason. I'm not 100% sure he got an epidural steroid injection, um, but it was reported, not officially, but unofficially reported he did. You know, the, the thing here is that disc injuries are really prone to re-aggravation. And, you know, he rested it, and that's great, and he calmed it down. And if he got an epidural injection, that's great. That It's a steroid, and it decreases inflammation. But all that's only temporary. Now, he got this weightlifting, and so to redo it, you need less force than that, right? So getting hit by 300-pound linebackers or linemen with blitzing linebackers, especially behind that offensive line, which was not great to start and now is banged up. You know, he starts taking hits. There is a very real chance he will not make it through the season. Uh, He's not that mobile. It's not like Russell Wilson playing behind his offensive line. He can kind of get out of the the way. And if you've ever injured your back, you know having a back injury makes you a lot less mobile than you ordinarily ordinarily will. Yeah, it affects everything. It affects everything. Oh, yeah. And and the other yeah, thing yeah. is we've seen recently with guys like Tony Romo how this can, you know, not only reoccur, but it can get worse. Oh, no question. You know, they did from a National Hockey League study, you know, people with this injury had a significant decrease in performance for all players. They, they had a decreased number of games played, uh, points scored, and just performance tailed off. So, his backup, Ryan Mallett, is, as you know, uh, not real good. And, and his question is, is he even able to effectively run the offense? So this offense could be in big trouble if Flacco takes hits. And it just seems that 
if we know that, the defensive coordinators know that, and they're going to be coming after him. You know, especially their run game is nothing to, you know, crow about to really keep him honest. So, again, I stayed away from the, you know, if you look at my early MFL 10 shares, I had a lot of Wallace and Woodhead. And once this injury hit, I, I'm totally off that team. You know, maybe, you know, people out there have a higher risk tolerance, but, you know, yeah, don't I, say nobody warned you. You know, if, if Woodhead <laughs> has a really good game, Macklin or Wallace, you might want to sell high and redraft, I'm just saying. Yeah, and I think Woodhead is very sneaky in DFS this week. Last guy we'll cover is Leonard Fournette, who had a history in college of a foot injury, and he seems to have hurt that foot again. And they said that they were just being cautious with him the rest of preseason. What are your thoughts on Leonard Fournette as we head into his first game as an NFL player? Well, you know, he uh, injured his ankle his senior year of or his last year in college, missed five games. And when he played, he wasn't as good as he was in 2015. It was a grade two ankle sprain. That was the diagnosis. Now, the information I have about this year is the foot was stepped on, and it's a toe injury. And it's not a big deal. And it may have been the same leg, but it was a totally different injury and totally unrelated. Um, He missed uh, the second, third, and fourth preseason game just to quote-unquote be careful. You know, foot and ankle injuries are very tough on all running backs, but especially the large guys like Fournette, they're really tough on. But, I mean, unless they're lying and this is a turf toe uh, or a bad midfoot sprain, which could keep them out, you know, number of weeks, um, the information we have is it is unrelated and his ankle is really okay. Uh, So... I mean, I have questions about the offense's effectiveness, the tough matchup, but I think the foot should be pretty good to go if the information we have is actually correct. Awesome. Doc, that was amazing. I'm so glad you're joining us this year and giving us your insights. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. That's going to do it for the doc. And it is time to move to a, a fun segment that, uh, that uh, I'm going to be doing each week with the FF Couch Coach. Coach, how are you today? Hello. 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 How are you? Hi. Is this Todd? It is. Hi. Hi. Todd? Yes. Todd. Hi. 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 We're here to talk about football. We are. We are. Absolutely. So um, I thought what what we could talk about this week is the Ezekiel Elliott news. Uh, Are you pro-NFL or pro-Ezekiel Elliott um, with with all the craziness going on? Uh, to be honest, that's not my voice. I was just, I don't know. <clears throat> I didn't know how to start. It was so. a funny voice. <laughs> it was awful. It was pretty bad. Oh, well, lady. Uh, it, was my ode to, it, was, it was like a, it was like a recorded well, Jerry Lewis. It was kind of my ode to the uh, 1992-ish, 1993-ish jerky voice. Um, oh. Okay. I don't know if you got, yeah, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've ever enjoyed those, but if you haven't, check it out on YouTube because it's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. 
um, you'll hear uh, a little little character called Sal Rosenberg when he goes, hello, hi, and uh, he, he, the little voices, and you were you were making me very. It's a, uh, it's 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 a uh, it's quite it's quite the thing, dude, man. It, it's it's really funny. So go and check it out. Um, as far as Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, man, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's one of those things where you you feel like. It, you almost feel like you're recycling everything that everybody else says. Uh, oh, well, I love the talent, but I'm afraid of the uh, off-field, the, 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 the off-field, uh, the, the things that he's up to. It, I don't know, man. It, it's just, for me, it depends on the, on the, on the, uh, on the format. I like him in dynasty. Uh, of course he's young. He's extremely talented, but I, I just can't stand the distraction, the, the side of it. Of where you're not even sure what's going to happen this week or next week in the news. Um, I mean, <laughs> every other week it seems like something more ridiculous is coming out, and you're not even sure whether or not it's true. And then you have lawyers and injunctions, and just I don't I don't want any part of it to be honest with you. I'm I, I don't know I don't know if I'm pro Zeke or if I'm pro NFL. I just I'm pro well, not I, being distracted. I've kind be of, I've kind of gone through um, a couple different iterations of my thoughts here. Uh, my default is always to think the NFL are assholes, and you know that that you know they're just up well, to no good. And and then you know, I read the report and well, I'm like, how, wow, they really. Let's just not forget the fact that Zeke's a fucking asshole too. I oh, mean, yeah. let's be honest. He is I, a, I'm not, that guy's a jerk. He's a jerk off. I, and, 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 and let's just be honest here. Let, let's be honest with everybody. I don't care. He's a young guy or he's never – I don't give a shit. He's the, he's the type of guy. You've got responsibility. You've got little guys looking up to you. You need to man up. You need to stop jerking off and stop being a dickhead and just stop pulling titties out on parades or whatever the fuck. I don't even know if you need to be told that as an adult. Like seriously, you're a man. You have a professional career. You have endorsements. You have millions of dollars. You have a lot of responsibility. Stop being a dickhead. Don't be a jerk off. Be a man. Right. You don't need to be told right. these things. You don't need to be yelled at. You don't need to be. You don't have to have a lawyer. It just angers me, really. It, 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 I can feel it in my. I, I like angry God. coach. Angry no, no, coach I, I can feel. Radio. I can feel. I can feel it in my fucking fingertips. To be honest with you, but, it really but I wanted me to off, to be honest with you. So, if, if you want to get down to it, I, I, I guess I am against Zeke because fuck him. You know, get your shit, get your shit together. If he is being framed for this, sure, I feel bad for him, and and that that girl needs to be uh, dealt with as far as uh, the law. But that's not neither here nor there. My thing is, is I'm anti being distracted. I don't like being distracted. It's fantasy fantasy football season, and we're talking about something that doesn't matter. Right. So I'm just gonna throw out uh, before I get to my. Uh my college segment, and I, I'm glad you came on. Um, I can't wait to hear. I know you're working on a couple of parodies and uh, for different shows. So in the coming weeks, you're going to make us laugh. Um, not that you didn't today. But the thing that I want to say is, like, so I finally am on the NFL side, and then I find out that the woman who met the accuser said there shouldn't be a suspension, she was shady, and then the NFL doesn't doesn't bring her to the to you know, to doesn't uh. include her 
thoughts in the report, and I'm like, you know, damn. It's like, what's, to me, you know, it, it's just like. To it, me, that it, sounds it, like they're just trying to save face. It sounds like, just, oh, shit, I, I didn't get all the facts. And now, now we're more and, facts. And now, I and feel now like we're it. back and right where to... we were with the flake gate, where if they had just handled their business properly, a court never would have uh, given this stay. And now, you know, all these idiots who were drafting him at 2-1 after the suspension are are golden, and that drives me crazy. So I'm going to leave well, it there, I, I, Coach. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. Last thought. Well, okay, one last thought. I was just going to say that I think that the problem is, is I think that the NFL is allowing uh, their endorsements and all these other guys make their decisions. Now, if these very select few um, owners would just man up and uh, decide on whatever they want to do because they know that they can. These guys are millionaires. They don't need other people's money. And if they don't take that, that specific sponsor's money, you'll get another sponsor because that other sponsor is going to step up because they have a set of balls. Um, my point is, is that, you know, I don't think that the NFL has any right or any place in um, governing their players. Don't get me wrong. They can have rules and regulations, but why don't you let the courts decide what's going on with Zeke before you go ahead and suspend him for almost half of the season? That's yeah. a little bit irresponsible to your whole brand. I'm talking about everybody. It, it, well, it and then they the wonder why the right players want to. And I don't. Then they wonder why the yeah. players want to kneel on the sidelines. Well, I mean that's that's that, that's a little bit of a different subject. Um, but no, but it, is, is it, that it ties I, I, together. Everything trickles down. Because it's but all, we we got to let it, it go, it, it coach. All, it all, okay, uh, you, you I, I got to we'll let you go. Week. Yep, we'll talk, we'll talk week, more. Hey, thanks Check a lot. Out, uh, at, at FF Couch Coach on Twitter. You got it. Check him out at FF Couch Coach on Twitter. Which reminds me, I haven't been saying everyone's uh, Twitter uh, feed. So um, our our next uh, segment. Um, that one kind of went off the rails a little bit, but it was meant to be a lighter side uh, segment. And uh, so uh, I think that one's going to go off the rails a lot during the year. Um, but now we're going to bring in our college expert, um, LJ, and uh, we're gonna, we, got, we got his music. So here's his music. Welcome to the show, LJ Cheney. You can find him on Twitter at Pacific Scouting. LJ, nice to talk to you again. How's it going, Todd? What are you up, man? Uh, just, uh, you know, trying to keep this first show together. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're doing a wonderful job. That was a interesting segment, I, but I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, it, 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 it was interesting, yes. And uh, I enjoyed it, too, so... Um, you know, but that's the thing about a variety series, right? You know, you tune in, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> so w- what we're going to get from you each week is we're going to review some of the, co- you know, if you, it, it, why don't you tell the people real quickly again, what you do, LJ? Yeah. So 
What I do, I'm a, a co-owner over at, over at DynastyFootballFactory.com, and me and a group of guys, we, uh, we specialize in Debbie, which is the developmental side of Dynasty football. And we're, we're watching prospects from their – I mean, some, some go really deep, but, you know, I'll check guys out in their senior year of high school, and I'll watch them all the way throughout college and into the NFL. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to project these talents to the next level. And, and Debbie is a little niche in, in the Dynasty world, but – you know, on top of that, I'm a big college football guy. Uh, I'll do rookie reports every off season and build my big board up, and you know, do whatever I can to uh, evaluate these players. But yeah, we got a big database where we're really crunching numbers, uh, watching these, watching tape on these guys, and you know, you can find all of our work over at DynastyFootballFactory.com. Like uh, Todd said, you can follow me on Twitter at Pacific Scouting. And I also have a, a podcast which is. The Debbie Watch podcast, where we are consistently, you know, bringing news, information, evaluation surrounding the developmental side of Dynasty, which is the college football players. And that is, uh, you can find that on iTunes, which is the Debbie Watch podcast, or follow it on Twitter at Debbie Watch. So we got a lot of cool stuff going on. Yep. All right. So um, each, you know, I thought it would be great. A lot of us don't follow college like we should, and then we're surprised when we don't know the rookies as well as we should. And it can really set you back when you're doing uh, best balls, especially early before the NFL draft. It, it really is an opportunity. So I thought it would be really fun to have LJ come on most weeks, review the big games of the week in college, and then talk prospects. So what games caught your eye this week, LJ? I know there's some good games going on right now. Yes, and I'll touch on those too, but the one that really caught my eye was Iowa versus Iowa State, and uh, this was earlier in the day. Iowa ended up winning that game in overtime 44-41, to and there, there's a few 2018 NFL prospects coming from that game, and you know, mainly on the Iowa side and uh, running back Akram Wadley. He, he clutched up and had a long touchdown run. Uh, I think as a, as a catch and score at the end of the game to, to force that into overtime, they end up winning. And on the defensive side, they have a linebacker named Josie Jewell, who I am really high on. And I think a lot of people are going to like him. He's very instinctual as a, as a player. He sniffs the ball out and, and he gets things done. And that, that is the, uh, the first one that really caught my eye. Next was uh, just finished up not too long ago, which was uh, Nebraska versus Oregon. And, you know, Oregon ended up pulling out the win in that one. It was really close towards the end. Oregon was uh, – they won 42-35. to 35, And they they have some, some prospects as well, mainly Royce Freeman, running back, who, uh, you know, he's, he's a power runner. He doesn't have much burst. He has great balance, vision. You know, the vision makes up for his lack of burst. And he's a guy that, that I'm going to be tilting back and forth on going forward. But they do have – a great prospect for next year in Justin Herbert, the quarterback, or actually the following year, the following year, sorry, the uh, 2019 season. So that was a fun game to watch. And like you said, there's two going on currently, Stanford and USC. They're, they're in a tight one. And, and last I checked, they were 17 to 21 right before half. USC was, was up right before half. And there is that, that field is littered with prospects. You can check that out on Fox. And, uh, I, I you know, this, this is, I love Pac-12 football. You know, I'm a, I'm a Husky fan, so this is an important game for me, and uh, it's it's a fun one. And, and the, the last one that, that's going on right now is Ohio State versus Oklahoma, and that's a tight one as well. OSU leads that one, 13 to 10 in the third quarter. So these are these are some great games. Ton of NFL prospects. 
and the last two I mentioned, and, uh, you know, mainly uh, USC, the Sam Darnold kid that everybody's really hyped on, the Ohio State versus Oklahoma game, you know, Baker Mayfield, they have uh, Mark Andrews in Oklahoma who is uh, currently tight end one for me. And so there's, there's prospects all over these, this, uh, this field for sure. Yeah, Notre Dame's beaten Georgia. That that that's got to be a tight game. Yeah, and and I need I need Georgia to cover that spread. It was a they got plus six on that game, and I'm I'm hoping that they end up covering that one. But we'll see. So that's that that has kind of talent on it as well. That field right there. So. So you mentioned Sam Darnold. What what are your thoughts on him? For me personally, he, he right now uh, he's been my QB two for quite some time. I do like Sam Darnold. He's a he's a little unorthodox with the, the way he does things, but I mean he has the size. He has you know the capabilities to be a really really good quarterback. He has immense potential, and that's what you're that's what you're looking for when you're scouting these guys. You know you're not looking for. I mean a lot of it is yeah I, I want to look and see what they're doing currently, what they can do, but you want to look and try to project to the future and be like okay where's their ceiling at what can they do for me in the future you know even if they're not doing certain things right now and if the size the build is there the mentality the iq you know the the mental aspect of the game is there for a prospect and they should do very good and sam Darnold, he's a he's a kid that i think it's there you know i think uh josh rosen he i have him a little higher and i've, I've always had him a little higher but sam Darnold, i do like him you know he's got the arm he can fit the ball in a tight windows Awkward release, but it, he's shirted up a little bit. So I, I do really like Sam Darnold. It, in general, do you like the quarterbacks in this? You know what we're thinking is going to be next year's class more than what we saw. Uh, obviously, this wasn't a big class for quarterbacks. Um, you know, but uh, you know, even though a couple of them got drafted real high, uh, do you like these guys better than the guys who went this year? I think you're looking at more um, pro-ready guys. You know, I think uh, we had, you know, Pat Mahomes, who's a magician out there. You've got Trubisky, who only had 13 career starts. It's it's a little different of a class. You know, these guys are really polished. I know Sam Darnold only had one year starting, but he just matured big time and grew up big time over that first year, and he's continuing to do it now. But, yeah, I do like this class a little better. You know, I think uh, I think it'd be, it could be close to that big band you know, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning class. I think that's that's what we might be looking at with this 2018 class. So it, it really, I, I do like it. It's, it's one of the betters in recent memory. And uh, Oklahoma just went ahead of OSU. I would love to see OSU lose. They've just, you know, it's no fun for me when the same teams win every year. And it seems like for the last, you know, I don't follow college that much, but when I do, it seems like, Ohio State and Alabama and then everyone else ever since Urban Meyer went to Ohio State. Uh, so I would not mind uh, Oklahoma pulling this off. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I uh, I chose Oklahoma in this game to win the game just because, you know, Baker Mayfield, he's a stud. He's the best, he's the best quarterback on that field right now over Jerry, or over, uh, oh crap, it's slipping, my, it's slipping me right now. But, uh, He's, in my opinion, he's the, he's the best quarterback on that field. There was a matchup I was looking for in this game, and that was, uh, like I said earlier, um, Mark Andrews, the tight end for Oklahoma. Well, he ended up – I seen him on the sideline. I tuned, tuned in like a couple minutes into the game. He was on the sideline, so I'm not sure if he got hurt or if he just did not play, but he was suited up, so he must have got hurt. And I was really looking forward to him 
working these linebackers because that would have been a great matchup. But, yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. That would be nice to see these guys pull one out. But uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting game going forward. Yeah, Clemson and Auburn is very close. And Clemson is up now 14-6 to six, uh, with a minute 34 left, and they've got the ball. Um, you know, how, how, how good is Clemson after losing Watson and Williams? So I personally think so. Their defense has gotten a lot better. They have an NFL caliber pass rush, and it's really it's really affecting Jared Stidham, who is uh, Auburn's quarterback. Who I personally leading into this year, I thought he was going to be a breakout candidate, and he's underwhelmed. And I know you wanted to get to that a little bit later, but he's one of the guys that has underwhelmed. But Clemson, they uh, it'll be it'll be uh, very interesting to going forward to see. Who rises to the top? I know they're going to be a team that's going to rely on their defense. They have a quarterback that can make the plays. They have a ton of wide receivers who are capable, you know, of going to the next level. And then a bunch of young guys and Deion Kane, who's a higher prospect. But I think uh, I think they're going to be right in it at the end of the year. Last week, FSU's quarterback, DeAndre Francois, went down, and they were my favorite coming out of the ACC. So now Clemson is definitely my favorite because – of DeAndre Francois going down for Florida State. I do like Clemson this year, and we'll see what it comes to for them. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I sent you those questions, but those were kind of for the whole year. You know, it's still so early. It's kind of hard to say who's overperforming and who's underperforming after one one and a half weeks. Yeah, and uh, – the things that, that, that I want to talk about when it comes to this is just, you know, guys who ha- who have stepped up and who have merited their, their hype, you know, we, we touched on them a little bit when I was talking about Sam Donald. That's Josh Rosen. I mean, he uh, – if you guys watched the games last week, you know, he came – led that crazy comeback against Texas A&M and threw for four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Well, and he, he had an easier opponent this week. He went for 22 for 25, 329 yards and five touchdowns against Hawaii, and he just, he was a genius. He looked like a genius out there just, you know, picking his team apart. He's very poised in the pocket. He's just a guy that gets it, fits the ball in the tight windows, makes all the right throws that you want to see, and I'm I'm extremely hyped for this kid going forward. I think uh, he he has been my QB1 for a while. We do our Debbie rankings over on DynastyFootballFactory.com, and Every one of our rankers has actually had him as number one, so it's, it's some cool stuff to check out. You can check out those rankings. Another cat that, that really performed well and who is really rising, even though he was the Heisman winner last year, people still wanted to see what he could do as a passer, and that's Lamar Jackson. He went uh, 25 for 39, 393 yards, and three touchdowns through the air. So he really improved tenfold as a passer. He was able to you know, manipulate the pocket, step up, keep his eyes up when he's uh, in the chaos inside the pocket and really deliver strikes downfield. And that was impressive. And he also put 132 yards on the ground with three touchdowns. So he is in line for another Heisman run. Him and Josh Rosen are the two guys I think that'll be be right there at the end. And the last one that's really impressed, obviously, is, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley at Penn State. You know, he only had 14 carries. But 88 yards, a touchdown, four catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. You know, these are three guys that are, that are going to be big-time prospects. I really think Lamar Jackson is going to be rising up into the early 
part of the first round when all things are said and done. So those are the guys that really popped off, and, and I expected them to pop off this week. I loved it. Uh, great stuff, LJ. Uh, I couldn't be happier to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, that that was awesome. Um, but w- why don't we finish up with kind of looking at a couple guys who haven't gotten out of the gate as quick as you would have liked to have seen. So the, the one I mentioned earlier, this is Jared Stidham. He's a, he's a kid that transferred from Baylor. You know, all that stuff happened at Baylor. He transferred. He was well sought after uh, a transfer, and he ended up going to Auburn. And he's getting torched by Clemson right now. You know, they, they sacked him. Last I checked, they sacked him seven times. And that's really rough. You know, he just hasn't had any time. He's been scrambling around in the uh, in the pocket and out of the pocket on the run getting hit. And uh, he's one that, that's underwhelmed, you know, quite a bit for me because I thought he was going to make a big rise. We'll see. This Clemson defense is for real. So we'll see going forward. And I just wanted to drop, you know, two names that, that people should be on the lookout for. And they're guys that really popped off. They, they've been on my radar for quite some time because I'm a, a Debbie writer. And, uh, you know, I look at these guys for a while. But, you know, for the, for the casual fan out there, there's Maryland running back Ty Johnson. He's been outstanding uh, over the last season and, and his first two games this year. You know, he consistently creates explosive plays. Uh, last season, he rushed for over 1,000 yards at 9.1 yards per carry. And that sounds crazy. But he's gotten even better this year. You know, last week he ran over Texas with 12 carries, 132 yards and a touchdown. You know, set 11 yards per carry. Today he popped off against Townsend with five carries, 124 yards, which is, you know, 24.8 yards per carry, and he had two touchdowns. So I think people need to really be looking at him for the next level and next year's draft. He's an explosive player. And, and Lamar Jackson's receiver, Jalen Smith, this kid is 6'4", 220, and uh, he – you know, he, he had an outstanding first week, eight catches, 117 yards. And today, nine catches, 183 yards, 20.3 average, and a touchdown. So those are two really big-time prospects that, that are going to be rising, and they, they had great weeks. So, you know, that that's, that's what I got on these prospects for this week. Awesome stuff, LJ. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll finish up with two big bits of news. Um, your, your, your Georgia Bulldogs are now ahead of Notre Dame, 17 to 16 and the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders to go back to the NFL have put Sebastian Janikowski on IR and signed somebody named Tavecchio. And that, that, that's a shocker. I don't think anyone saw that coming. So Sebastian Janikowski on IR Finishing up on college, uh, Georgia's now ahead of uh, Notre Dame. Hey, looking forward to seeing you next week, LJ. Perfect. Thanks again, Todd. And I am going to have to grab another kicker because he is my kicker in my fantasy league. But I wanted to, to leave, you know, any listeners with one thing. And when, when I started uh, the segment off, you know, I mentioned I'm a Debbie writer. And that, that – excuse my ESPN alert. That is uh, – you know, the, the it probably just told you that Sebastian Janikowski got hurt. <laughs> it probably did. But uh, I wanted to let listeners know that even if you're not a, a Debbie player and you're a Dynasty player out there, you know, there's a – I'm starting to do a weekly piece on DynastyFootballFactory.com, which is called Projected Futures. And what it is, is it's just a guideline to, to gauge values on 2018 prospects, 2019 prospects, and 2020 prospects. So when you're dealing your future rookie picks – 
or acquiring future rookie picks, you can use that as a guide and sort of get a group of names to where you think those picks that you're dealing will, will end up at. You know, like let's say it's a, a late 2019 first. You know, there's I got this the set up and these projections to which player you might be trading away or acquiring. So you can check that out every single week on DynastyFootballFactory.com. And, you know, I did it to cater more so towards the Dynasty side of, of Dynasty Football because I know Debbie is a little bit of a niche. So I just wanted to leave off with that. Yeah, I, and, and I couldn't agree more. That's why I want to do this segment every week so that we could take your knowledge of Debbie. And you could talk Debbie, and we'll talk college, but we also want to kind of help us to be a little bit ahead and so that these names aren't completely unfamiliar when we, uh, when we get to January of next year. So thanks so much, LJ. Amazing job. Looking forward to working with you this year. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for thinking of me. You know, it's been a fun, been a fun little series and actually a pretty interesting, fun episode already. So thanks again. Until next week, Todd. Have a good one. All right. You take care. All right. Our next segment is going to be every week uh, about numbers. You know, I work for Rotoviz, and nobody's better at numbers than Rotoviz. So I thought I would bring one of Rotoviz's guys on. Regularly, it's Matt Wispy, and uh, we'll get we'll get to his intro. Matt, are you there? I'm here. I, I guess I feel like a number. <laughs> I totally understand. I'm with you there. Yep, I uh, I'm glad to have you on. And uh, what are we going to be going over today? So I, I kept it a little bit simple for the first segment of the show. I uh, I just wanted to take a look at two quarterbacks who were on the road this week, who both have been historically criticized for their home road splits, um, and that's Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger. And I tend to have actually a stronger opinion about one of the quarterbacks um, as a fade for this week and one of them as a guy who, while he may not be a target, he's a guy I'm not avoiding. Um, and Can I guess? Yeah. Because yeah, I you, know you, you can guess the numbers, but I didn't look. <laughs> um, I, well, I'll just tell you that I'm more likely to pay Ben than I am Drew. Well, I would go the other way with that. Interesting. All right, so now we uh, need to go to the numbers and uh and Oh, sorry about that. I I guess I got <laughs> too excited. It's a really good intro. <laughs> it's a variety show. I'm trying to show some variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh so like no, it. take us through it. So, I guess the first thing I'll start out with is Um, So my first step in looking at these numbers and pulling these splits was I used the Game Splits app and the Team Splits app on RotoViz to isolate games where playing on the road and also games where Drew Brees is on the road. Um, But I guess the first thing I started off with is I did take a look at uh, the Vegas lines. And while you can't live and die by the lines, there is something to be noted about the fact that – Pittsburgh is a nine-point favorite against Cleveland. 
um, with an over-under of 47 in the game, which is, I'd say, moderate. Um, It's projecting them to score in the high 20s, low 30s. And uh, New New Orleans is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Minnesota, um, I believe. I may have actually written that down wrong. Um, But their over-under is 48. And the one thing that I would actually look at this as a minor concern if I'm uh, paying up for Roethlisberger, which um, a lot of DFS sites have him as the QB1 for the week, is the fact that if they're going to be – winning by nine plus, if they're going to cover that spread, they're probably going to end up shutting down the passing game early. And that kind of has played out in his splits on the road, as well as um, against Cleveland specifically. And so I guess I'll I'll start off with just discussing his home road split Uh, over his career. He's been four points worse in PPR leagues on a, uh, on average, scoring 18.21 points per week uh, on the road compared to his 22-point average. Um, his pass attempts are about equal over the career. Um, but over the last four years, because I felt like it was important to isolate the time just with Todd Haley, um, he's actually seen an increase in his split on the road going from 19 point, or 19.36 on the road. Um, and at home, he's all the way up at uh, 25.89 and my take, I, I guess my big thing from that is that there is risk when you're going to run him out there. And while I don't live and die by home road splits as an end all be all, I think there is, con- there is reason to be concerned when there is such a substantial difference. Um, and so I guess I also wanted to take a quick look at the uh, specifically when he was playing against Cleveland um, over his career on the road at Cleveland. He has only scored 16 PPR points per game, which would probably come as a shock to most people in 13 games in his career. He is uh, four pass attempts lower per game uh, against Cleveland and has a um, has fewer touchdowns and yards against Cleveland than he does compared to games that he's not on the road at Cleveland. And no, that's my that's, thought process. That, that's Alex, good. Yeah. I mean, those are good. Those are good things. Um, I, I just, I, I heard someone, it might've been Evan Silva talk about how the last two game ones of the year, Ben played really well and some of them were on the road but uh, you you know me. I mean, that's what got me on uh, on on uh, Rotoviz was this home whole road, you know, quarterback home road splits article that I did. And yeah. you know, it, it's funny to me. You know, numbers obviously are important, but I think you also have to. Sometimes people don't want to. You know, they get so caught up in saying that this is noise or that is noise. You know what? I, 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 you know, Ben Roethlisberger's splits are really stark, and I'm gonna really, unless there's really good reason to play him on the road, I'm not going to. And uh, until he starts showing me that it is just noise. And I think the other reason to partially avoid him, specifically for DFS, is. Not only is he an expensive option because nobody had in their right mind has faith in Cleveland to be um, 
really a threat to the Steelers, but he's going to be the chalk play. He's going to be highly owned by most uh, informed DFS players because there are a lot of outlets um, available projecting him as uh, the best option for the week. I know I was looking at Fantasy Labs for the Rotoviz play of the week, and he was actually the quarterback they had with the absolute highest ceiling of any uh, on the board this week. And I thought that was noteworthy considering that I have seen uh, some of these splits. Um, Specifically now, just as a team, they score, uh, since 2012, they've scored – about a point less per game against Cleveland, um, and they've averaged about three pass attempts less just against Cleveland himself. And on the road, they're seeing on the road against Cleveland, they're about five point, or I'm sorry, four points below their team average, and almost half a point per drive less. And those things, while they they might be a little bit random in the fact of the sample size, when you start to shrink it down, it, it does kind of bring a, an element of randomness to it. It it is worth noting that they don't have a need to put points on the board at the same rates. And they, if they are staying in a positive game script, it's going to be the Le'Veon Bell show. And I guess getting back to your original point about the week ones sticking out as, Oh, he's done well, including games on the road. The last two seasons, Le'Veon Bell has not started the season. Um, and even if we do think D'Angelo Williams is an adequate level replacement, Le'Veon Bell gets used as high as any player. I, I looked at earlier this offseason, um, him and David Johnson were just on a historic usage rate. And if he's in the game, he's going to get used a ton. And that, while that's great for Le'Veon Bell because he's going to do well against this defense, it does hurt or it does cap some of Ben Roethlisberger's upside. Yeah. I, 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 I think that, see, to me, I always have hard time narrowing down quarterbacks. There always seems to be more that I like than I should probably play. So Ben is someone I don't have any ownership of this week. Uh, just because I think Aaron Rodgers is a better GPP play Russell Wilson is, you know, pretty popular on his own right in that price point. And the other guy I'm playing in that price point when I'm playing at, at that price point is Cam Newton. Um, so, you know, I just don't see the need to go to Ben. And I kind of feel the same way about Drew Brees, though, as well. I'm not I'm not playing a lot of uh, contests that include Monday night. Um, and I do like Michael Thomas this week, but the thing about Breeze is that he really does, you know, I just think that, you know, with Adrian Peterson coming home, you know, they, they might end up with one or two touchdowns on the ground. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the Michael Thomas love. He's kind of one of my guys for the week. I, I tweeted out earlier this week. I think there's a real chance he ends the week as the overall um, wide receiver one in PPR formats. Um, and part of it was I actually did pull his split or pulled Drew Brees splits against uh, on the road. And the stark difference for me was that his pass attempts actually do go up on the road, which should bring a little bit of volume. And um, although it is worth noting that his road splits um, from 2008 through 2016, so his time with New Orleans, excuse me, um, 
is about six points per game less, which is even more startling than Ben Roethlisberger. And his interceptions are up by almost half an interception per game. And his touchdowns are down a full touchdown. And so looking at that alone, you'd think I would be terrified. Then I decided to kind of isolate a couple of other variables, which were I took a look at him just against Minnesota, and it's a tiny sample size. It's only four games. But it actually, he's done about his career average, 26.2 um, PPR points per game against the Vikings in four games. He's only averaged half an interception, so um, that's sort of leveling out, and his touchdowns are back in line with his career average. So whether that points towards him having a good feel against that defensive scheme or if it's, again, small sample size, it's hard to fully identify, but he has performed well against this team in the past. Um, And then the last variable I did was I went over his time um, in uh, in New Orleans and decided to isolate just games that were on the road because the I mean that were on the road in domes because a lot of the concern that people have with dome quarterbacks going out onto grass fields in the outdoors is that they tend to see them or they tend to have to be a little more concerned with the elements. And he did see still a little drop in his um, production. It was at 25.86 PPR points per game, uh, about, I think it's about two and a half career average. And, but his attempts, again, they, they remained up. He's at almost 44 pass attempts per game. And if I'm going to bet on somebody that's going to over, like going to overcome and produce on the road, despite some historical flaws, I will actually look at him because he's still the most accurate quarterback of all time. And if he's throwing the ball nearly 44 times per game, it just opens up a lot of opportunity for scoring. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, One thing I'm trying to do this year is think a little bit out of the box. Uh, I'm not worried about beating the average guy, you know, someone who doesn't know, what they're doing as you know, who doesn't spend as much time on it as we do. Um, I'm worried about these, you know, the really good DFS guys. Right. So I'm trying to, I'm not, I'm trying to think of ways to come up with strategies that go against what most DFS guys do. So I mentioned earlier in the episode tomorrow, I'm going to be playing Carson Palmer with David Johnson, but no Larry Fitzgerald, you know, that's not something that's normally done, but if, you know, I can clearly see a scenario where Carson Palmer throws for three or four touchdowns, you know, and, you know, Jerron Brown gets one, Gresham gets one and David Johnson gets two. And if David Johnson has a huge game and Carson Palmer has a huge game and you don't have Fitz and, and Fitz gets a five for 50 and he's 30% owned, that, that's an opportunity. The other one yeah. that I've been thinking a lot about is playing Drew Brees without dacking him. Just naked Drew Brees Just running naked. around the Superdome yeah. because he, he, he throws the ball around so much. And, and he's good at getting everyone involved. And then I did this study 
that I was telling you about uh, offline where I've been analyzing three and four touchdown and five touchdown games last year by quarterbacks. And what was interesting was in the eight games where Drew Brees threw three or more touchdowns last year, five of those games, a running back also scored a touchdown. So, you know, it's harder to pick a running back to, to stack with Breeze, but uh, those are some thoughts that I've been having. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's it's an interesting idea. I do. Uh, I agree. If you're going to be going up against the best in DFS, you can't, you can't even go with the typical contrarian plays because those guys are going to be owned by the best. And I would, I mean, I, if I'm putting out a quarterback that I'm looking to get a full, like I'm looking for a win at sub 1% owned, Drew Brees might be the guy. And I think it points back to that. How many pass attempts is he really going to have against uh, on, on the turf? And ha- how many opportunities is he going to have to put up points for you? And if, I mean, there's some, there might be concern. You might see a dud get laid uh, during the outing, but there's a real chance that you're going to get more pass attempts than whatever other option you had available. Yeah. Uh, just looking at his profile from last year, he had eight games of three or more touchdowns in two of those games. The number one receiver, Mike Thomas scored two touchdowns in two of those games. The number two wide receiver uh, cooks had two touchdowns, And in one of those games, the third wide receiver had two touchdowns. So if you're really thinking about Boink in a GPB, you know, he really spreads it around. And and just to give you an idea, in like 40-something percent of all three touchdown-plus games, there's no two touchdowns. So, I mean, he had a pretty high rate of throwing two, but good luck guessing who it's going to be each time. Yeah. And that's, I, I would say that's the, he's kind of the QB that I may avoid the a wide receiver stack on just because, like you said, he, it very well might get spread around. Now this week, I think there's a little bit less of a concern in that sense, just because they they were playing without Willie Sneed. It's their first game without Brandon Cooks from just last, from just those two players, that's 13 targets per game that they have to replace Um Kobe Fleener didn't seem to do anything last year that he would warrant getting a substantial amount of that. Ted Ginn probably jumps in. He gets you, I'd say he probably tops out at targets game, seven, eight targets per game. I mean, that leaves five for somebody. And I'd still point towards the most likely person being Michael Thomas. He's the one guy there that has developed some level of chemistry with Drew Brees and has proven it. I mean, has proven that he can, succeed with in this Drew Brees offense. Well, so, I'm going to leave you with one more number because it's time for me to get to the next segment. Um, and I agree. I mean, if you're going to play Brees tonight, I'm playing him with Thomas. But three, four weeks from now, that might not be the case. So last year in Drew Brees' eight uh, games that um, he had the three or more touchdowns, Michael Thomas averaged 20 points a game, which isn't bad. He had two, but he only had two of those games where he was over 100 yards. 
and only one game over 30 points. You compare that to a guy like Julio Jones, who in, 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 in Matt Ryan's six games of three touchdowns or more last year, averaged 34.56 points a game. Uh, Antonio Brown in those games averaged 26.4. So again, back to the whole thing about how Breeze spreads it out. Thomas is a, uh, is a good play, uh, but there are weeks where you can justify, I think, not stacking Breeze with a wide receiver. Fully agree. And I, I think if – and now switching for a moment to season law, I, I think Michael Thomas is going to be a prime candidate to sell high on in about two to three weeks, right around the time Willie Sneed's about to come back. If Michael Thomas is sitting there as a top five wide receiver, as a top three wide receiver – be prepared to pull the trigger if you get an offer on him. Start sending a few offers out there. If you can return top three, top four wide receiver value on him, uh, he's a guy I'm I'm going to sell. Yep, uh, great stuff, Matt. Uh, looking forward to having more great episodes with you this year. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back with Dom Petrillo to talk some uh, some defenses. Um, this break is brought to you by our sponsor. Oh, wait, we, we don't have a sponsor. So when you don't have a sponsor and you need to take a 30-second break or so, you play music. I'm here. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing tonight? I'm awesome. It's really good to have you on. Dom did a podcast with me uh, about a week or two ago where we went through um, his coping with being blind from diabetes. Uh, we talked about depression as well. But today and many days during the football season on Saturday nights, we're going to be talking defenses. And uh, you sent me a list of five defenses that you're really high on. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll have time to get through all five, but number one on that list is the L.A. Rams. Why don't you tell me why you're uh, high on the Rams this week? Well, they're playing the Colts without Andrew Luck, so that's a good thing for anybody. They are they're going to be at home, obviously. Uh, the Colts are going to be without their center, Kelly, so that's going to make their line even worse than it was last year, which is hard to even do. Plus, their the Colts' defense is going to be so bad with Vontae Davis missing the game and nobody on that defense that the Rams are going to be able to, you know, keep the Colts off the field, so it's going to limit their chances to even score anyway when they are on the field because they're not going to have as many chances. But with that offensive line being so banged up, 
you know, they're going to be able to, they should be in there to get some sacks. They should be able to get some, uh, you know, a lot of quarterback pressures, a lot of quarterback hits. They're going to, they should be able to get a couple interceptions. And the fact that Tolzine is so bad that they actually had to go trade for Jake Brissett. And they're also talking about using Steve Morris, the rookie quarterback from uh, Miami, or not the rookie, but the quarterback from Miami, in two-minute situations just because they're so afraid of what Tolzine can do just shows the lack of confidence they have in that entire offense. So if the coaching staff has a lack in confidence of that offense, then you might as well love the defense that's going against them this week. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, The second team that you sent me notes on was the Buffalo Bills. You said the Bills are playing the Jets, enough said, and I agree with that sentiment. So we'll go on to your third team, which is the Houston Texans. Um, You talk about the, uh, you know, what I like about what you you sent me was that it was, and, and, you know, I want to backtrack a second because I should have mentioned this on your intro. Defense is a huge opportunity. Because most shows, you'll notice it's the last thing. Oh, wait, I, it's the last thing we're doing, too. Um, but uh, it, it really doesn't get the focus, and, and it's normally a short segment at the end. So we're going to be doing a 15-minute segment most weeks on defense and helping you to pick a defense. So I thought it was a great opportunity for advantage. And the next point that Dom is making here about the Texans, you know, Everybody that I've talked to this week just mentions Blake Bortles, but you're you're more focusing on the narrative street angle, aren't you? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with JJ Watt raising what over thirty million dollars now for the city, just the emotions. It's like I'm a Saints fan, you know. And after they came back after Katrina, there was a big emotion in the game against the Falcons in the Superdome for the first game with you know Gleason blocking the punt. And, you know, everything, everybody knows what's happened with Gleason since then, and that's just an amazing story as well. And, you know, when J.J. Watt gets in there and, you know, gets his interception, gets his – he's going to get at least two or three sacks this week. And when he gets that first sack, that stadium is just going to explode. No, I, I, I like it. I think that's, uh, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and you do the same thing with uh, – and this one I had thought of. And uh, the Mauler talked a little bit earlier about the Cardinals. Your fourth defense is the Cardinals. Uh, you think having the Honey Badger back is a big deal? Uh, he's he's going to make a big difference. I mean, he's totally turned his life around since college. He's a great story there. And he's healthy now, so that's going to make a huge difference, having him in the backfield with Patterson, or excuse me, in the secondary. That's going to make, make a huge difference. They're going to be able to shut down the – passing game of the Lions, make them one-dimensional, even, you know, even if they just play, you know, they load the box because the rush defense for the Cardinals isn't going to be as good this year without Calais Campbell with Buchanan missing this week. But the fact that they have the shutdown secondary like they do with Honey Badger and with Patterson or Peterson, they're going to be able to, you know, cover those guys one-on-one. They're going to be able to stack the box, put eight in the box against the you know, the run game, and they're going to be able to stop the run game just by pure numbers. So they should be able to shut down the Lions pretty good. I mean, Stafford's the highest paid player in the league, but that's only because he's the most recent quarterback to sign the contract. It's not because he deserves it. You know, he's not an elite quarterback, 
And he has been doing good the past couple of years, but it's more because of short passes. So the short, if he does keep with the short passes, then the eight in the box is going to help because they're going to have the people up in the box to cover those short passes to go along with the, you know, the secondary covering the any way that does go along. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, the honey badger brings turnovers and if he can stay healthy and his health has been a concern because he leaves everything out on the field. But, um, you know, I think I do agree that the Cardinals are a sneaky defense this week. And uh, the last one you're mentioning is someone that I haven't seen too many people talk about. Um, The Baltimore Ravens. What what do you like about the Ravens? Their depth. Everybody knows how injured they are on offense. They're missing half their offensive line through injury or retirement. You know, Flacco is hurt, so you don't know how good he's going to be. You know, they don't have that great a receiving core right now. Everybody, Perryman's hurt still since, you know, like four or five years ago. And the running back, Woodhead, coming off the hamstring and, you know, West terrible this preseason. Buck Allen maybe their best back there. But their defense has been great. They got, you know, they brought in some people. They brought in Church. They have Weddle back there. They have a lot of good in the secondary. Their defense is just stacked. They're deep. They're healthy. And they're going to be able to – Andy Dalton never plays good against the Ravens. And that division in general, it always seems that, you know, it's always when you see – Pittsburgh playing Baltimore, you play Cincinnati and Baltimore, Cincinnati and the Ravens, the games always end up being 12-10, you know, 17-14. So they're never really high-scoring games for the most part. So in that sense, it's always been a defensive division. And I think the fact that they are they know that they have to rely on their defense this year if they're going to do anything, and their defense is going to show up today. As, though, as much as I love Dalton in season long, and I have him on a lot of my teams, I don't like him in this game in particular. He could have like a Tom Brady night from Thursday compared to a Alex Smith night just because that defense is so good that it can hold him in check. Great, great stuff, Dom. You knocked it out of the park week one. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with you uh, all all season on this. And uh, thanks so much for contributing to the variety show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You know, it's nice being the anchor, bringing up the rear, and, you know, everybody loves the dirt. That's why they saved it for last, so that's, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we'll mix it up at times, I'm sure, as well. Um, maybe give you a couple different assignments to keep it fresh, but uh, really glad you're part of the team. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Just don't have me doing any film study. Any what? Any film study. No, no, that that, okay. that wouldn't be good. Um, all right. Well, uh, that was Dom Petrillo. You can find him on Twitter at Envision, E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N, I think. I'm getting tired, folks. Uh, you know, it, 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 it seems like a good idea to do a two-hour variety show until you're at the last 10 minutes and you're old and uh, you're starting to get tired. But I really, really, really enjoyed it. I hope you did. Uh, I think we're doing something a little bit different here. Most weeks I'm going to lead us out with a song if we have time, and we do have a little bit of time. I I think, look, it's the first uh, week of the season, and uh, I'm going to play and lead us out with 
one of the old NFL songs. This one is called Whirlwinds to the End Zone. And uh, thanks so much for listening to the Run to Daylight podcast.